Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Consider This. Please let me know what you think and tell others about us on social media. This podcast was originally broadcast live on Northumberland 89.7 FM. You can hear this show live every Friday at noon. Thank you for downloading this program, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, I'm Robert Washburn, and welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. As students settle into school, the Kawartha Pine Ridge District School Board is facing a number of challenges. On today's show, the school board's chair, Steve Russell, will address key issues. At the forefront is labor unrest. While negotiations continue, there is great uncertainty. That is especially true for elementary teachers. Russell will explain what the board is doing to prepare. Then there's a lot of talk about gender identity. The Premier and the Minister of Education have both said they wish to ensure parents are involved when students wish to transition. You'll hear Russell's response. Finally, there's a lot of new curriculum this year. He will also address what is changing. I'm so pleased to have with me today Steve Russell, the chair of the Kawartha Pine Ridge District School Board. Welcome to Consider This Northumberland. Thank you very much. Early in August, Education Minister Stephen Leachy reiterated his government's commitment to push school boards to be more accountable with new requirements for school boards to report their progress to achieve provincial priorities. Can you explain to parents what that means to the KPR school board? I think the minister is trying to um, to make sure that boards are accountable for an improvement in student achievement. And so there are a number of initiatives that relate to that. Um, there are some additional supports for literacy. There's change in the curriculum, the language arts curriculum, which hasn't been changed since Oh, about 2007, I think. Um, and there's some new supports for math. Um, so the minister is very interested in seeing that our EQAO scores are increasing. And of course, boards have been working on that for a long time. But if there's this new curriculum, what is the board doing to integrate that new curriculum? And how is it, how is it changing what kids are learning in the classroom? Well, the the August announcement was actually a re-announcement of some of these initiatives. So uh, we've we've known about it. We've been working on it since the spring. So we have some internal staff within the board office, uh, some lead teachers and our superintendents and principals of program uh, who have been putting together work with uh, education consultants within the board. So these are some teachers who've been withdrawn from the classroom to focus on those particular things and to help support other teachers with training. So there's a new language arts curriculum one to eight. Um, the minister, I think, likes to say it's it's back to basics. Um, I'm not sure that I agree with that entirely, but it's based on some, some new educational science. It comes from the right to read report by the Ontario Human Rights Commission that basically said for some students, we are um, 
there are students who are struggling to read and without the basic literacy skills to move forward, those students are destined to continue to struggle throughout their educational career. So there's an emphasis on some scientifically and research-based approaches to literacy skills attainment and some screening tools for students uh, from K to grade two so that we can identify very clearly who the students are that have additional reading and writing challenges and we can focus to intervene on, on, behalf, on behalf of those students to make sure that they, they catch up and they can progress. How far along are you in implementing this within the classroom? Well, this is the, uh, the beginning this September, um, but we've had uh, staff working on it throughout the spring. And, you know, I'm really proud of our teachers. We had 200 educators who volunteered to come in over the summer and work on professional development, you know, sort of out of their holiday time and without pay to uh, come and get a, uh, get a jump on it. Um, and those teachers are going to be very helpful when they get back with their colleagues um, to look at this and begin to implement it. it. There aren't radical changes, I would say, to that curriculum. There are some changes. And those screening tools we, we've yet to see and work with. We're hoping that we get all of that soon. But we've got all those teachers. And on the August 31st PD Day, before the Labor Day weekend, um, all of the teachers got together to within their schools to look at that language arts curriculum and to see what those changes will be as they begin to move forward with them this fall. You talked specifically about literacy, but there was also a new curriculum for math and science as well. Right. Can you tell us what's been done in those two areas and where you are in terms of implementing those as well? Well, very uh, similarly, uh, we've been working on some of those math outcomes for quite a while. Um, across the province, the minister is giving us 300 additional math uh, teachers, lead teachers, and every board is required to have one. Um, in KPR, we've had math uh, supports for a number of years, and we've been doing quite well with what's called a scope and sequence process. Um, lots of in-service where teachers get together and collaborate on their math teaching strategies and they try to make sure that they're using a scaffolded approach so students have really got uh, the skills under their belt in one area before they move on to the next area um, and we've been engaged in that uh, for a number of years but now um, the minister is going to mandate that we have a, a math lead teacher um, and that person will be responsible for making sure that this kind of progress in math continues. In the science area, there's um, there's some changes and there's a grade 10 digital technology course now that's uh, aimed at helping students to learn more about the world of coding and using computers um, and getting some kind of hands-on projects to investigate artificial intelligence and to learn about cybersecurity. There's lots of focus there on the digital world. And there's also uh, a bit of an emphasis on financial planning and, and uh, helping students to learn those kind of life skills related to more simple mathematics, frankly, but 
um, the important life skills, you know, what is compound interest? <laughs> I wish I had known when I was 20 years old. <laughs> if I'm a parent and I'm sending my kid to school and they're coming home and telling me about what's going on in class, what things should I be listening for or what things should I be looking for to see how these things are being woven into uh, what either already exists or what is new? Well, I mean, that's a that's a difficult question. I, I'm hoping that what parents are, are looking for is that their, uh, their children are excited to be learning things that matter to them, that make sense to them, and that, you know, they feel like there's some value in what they're, what they're learning. Um, you know, specifically, it's pretty hard to, you know, I, my kids would come home and talk to me about their grade 11 math courses, and I wouldn't know what they were talking about at all. Uh, so it's hard to say, you know, what should I, what do I want to hear? Uh, mostly, I think I want to hear that my kids are happy in school, and that they feel like they're learning something every day. Part of this must be being accountable to the provincial government to show that you're making progress on these things. What tools are being used for you at the board to monitor how these things are being integrated? How do you measure all this as it's going on and going forward? Now, uh, good question. We have for, for many years looked at uh, EQAO scores and that data both on literacy and mathematics and uh, we can disaggregate the data and take a careful look at what what schools and what cohorts and really try to understand the anomalies that we might see in that data. Um, you know, and sometimes um, that analysis is really crucial because you may see, for instance, a school score plummeting and realize, well, there was a bit of a flu epidemic at test time. So the, the loss of half a dozen kids from the group has pulled the school uh, score way down. So all of the, the, that kind of analysis of data is very important. But we've also always had a process of developing a strategic plan for the board and setting priorities for KPR. And those are monitored um, throughout the year. The director of the board needs to report to the trustees uh, periodically on those. And that process is being formalized and the minister wants to have a close look at what those strategic priorities are um, and make sure that they are focused around student achievement. My personal feeling is that we need to focus them on both student achievement and wellness and student well-being. Uh, Those are the two parts of the mandate for trustees. And uh, it's a bit disappointing to me that the minister speaks a great deal about student achievement, but a little bit less about mental health and wellness and that kind of student well-being. I'd like to come back to that in just a moment. I'd like to just pursue a little bit more what you said earlier about um, your own internal methods of of measuring success and, and the integration of these new aspects. But the government has been really clear that it wants reports on EQAO testing, graduation rates, credit accumulation, uh, participation in job skills programs, absences and expulsions. That to me seems like that's pretty basic stuff. That Are you not doing that already or is that something that's new? That uh, We are doing that already, have been for a long time. Um, I, I don't know if there are some other boards in the province where they don't do that. I would be very surprised. 
but uh, I, I, you know, it, it sounds great. Um, it, it's just not new. It's one of the many great things that we've been doing for a while. Let's go back now and talk about that aspect that you were mentioning earlier. And one thing the government is emphasizing is that they want a safe and supportive learning environment. Mm-hmm. Are there any indicators at the moment to you and the trustees at any of the schools within the board that are not safe? Well, I mean, safety for the students and staff both is is a top priority for us. Um, there are, unfortunately, are incidents um, fairly often where, you know, students become combative and as you can imagine, it's it's a very challenging thing if a student acts out violently within the school against an education assistant or against a teacher or against other students. And, you know, if you need to physically restrain a student who's having a terrible tantrum uh, or losing it um, and becoming physically violent, that puts everybody in a very difficult position because we certainly don't ever want to be assaulting a child, but we do need to be uh, using effective restraints and and staff are trained in those areas um, but that's a challenge and um, w- we work on it all the time and it's it's a concern um, in terms of other you know aspects of safety well we've just gone through the that terrible pandemic and trying to keep students safe with masking and all of those protocols um, we were fortunate that the ministry recognized the need and provided funding for sort of emergency uh, supplies of hand sanitizers and all of the things that helped to keep kids safe from that. So, you know, safety is always a priority. What supports are you giving students in terms of things, as you were mentioning earlier, around mental health? Because that's been something that has gained a a lot of attention, especially coming out of the pandemic. What's happening at the KPR board? Well, there's a a number of things, both uh, sort of specific and general. So, you know, in specifics right now, uh, the government partnered with the School Mental Health Ontario and with Sick Kids Hospital to develop some mental health modules. And we have... um, some mental health leads in the school board who are working hard to make sure that that's shared with all of our grade uh, six, seven, eight students. We've gone beyond the ministry's push and we've made sure that all grade nine students are also exposed to those modules. And, um, and that's, that's beginning this fall. So that's a kind of specific step but in in general terms um we've been aware that of the tremendous stress that students have been under during the pandemic and and coming out of it so a number of things uh i hope will lead to some better mental wellness within the system and um you know we've tried to address some of the pressures around examinations for example, and try to lessen the stress on students as they're coming toward their their final exams in secondary school. Um, We've also, you know, it's been a priority to have welcoming and inclusive classrooms so that all of the students always feel that they belong there. It's their school. They 
They matter, they're important to those grown-ups. And I'm hoping that we're gonna continue down that path. You know, principals have been aware, we've done student census data gathering. Um, and it shows that, you know, fewer students than we would like feel that they have a close adult contact within the school. And we're really trying to work on that sense that kids feel there's a, a trusted adult that they can go to and speak to for help. And uh, I think if we make sure that students, you know, their identity is reflected in the classroom, that they see themselves in the books and the resources that we provide, they do have a sense that this, this place is for them they matter and they belong there and we're there we're there to help them specifically them that's important and i think that goes a long way to supporting students well-being within the schools and and we know if they don't feel mentally well um, if they're stressed and anxious and angry they aren't learning anything so it's a fundamental building block as as important as literacy skills they have to feel like they matter You've mentioned a couple of times that this is stuff we're talking about today are things that you've been working on for a long time, that there's nothing really, really new here. When the minister makes remarks like he did back in August, how do you respond? What are your thoughts uh, about that aspect of this and what the provincial government's trying to do as it pertains to the board and its activities and you as chair? Well, uh, you know, Sometimes I uh, I feel grateful that the minister is using the pulpit that he has to let parents know that we are doing these things, that we are addressing student well-being and student achievement, and we're accountable and transparent. Um, there have been a number of you know important initiatives um, to address uh, you know homophobia or transphobia or Islamophobia. Um, there's some changes to the grade six curriculum that focus specifically on the Holocaust uh, as, as a way, I hope, of getting to some of the other issues of racism and prejudice that uh, students begin to learn about at the, that age. They start to see those things in the world. Um, so, you know, my reaction is sometimes, well, I, I wish the minister would uh, phrase things in terms of what we're already doing really well rather than saying, we need this, we need this, as though we aren't doing it. Um, that's a little frustrating, but that's just, you know, part of the process. Uh, I think when, when you talk to parents within our system, the vast majority of them feel like we've got really good schools and there are great things happening for their kids. So um, we, just, we just roll with it. And sometimes, uh, you know, this minister has been very good about having a biweekly telephone conference with the chairs of all of the school boards. Um, and that's a good opportunity for him to give us fairly current updates on the ministry's thinking. And for those of us who can get a question in, uh, a chance to give some feedback or ask about issues that, that we are concerned with from the ground level. The province is requiring at least three PA days must focus on provincial education priorities. What are you doing this year to achieve this? And are you going to be making the PA days activities public? Absolutely. Yeah, the PD day activities will be posted. Um, and we've been given a timeline for doing that and making sure that parents are aware of what we're focusing on. 
but it's it's not that new again that uh, there's a a portion at least of the PA days that is given over to initiatives coming from the ministry. And that's been ongoing for years. You know, provincial curriculum gets renewed on a cycle and there's always some kind of a focus for one, one department in a high school or another, one subject area to, uh, to have to focus on curriculum changes that are coming forward or policy changes around assessment and evaluation, for example. Um, and, and, you know, those initiatives, I was a teacher before I retired and, and was elected trustee. And uh, uh, we learn a lot in those PD sessions. They are very valuable. And, you know, you want teachers to get that ongoing in-service training and updates on curriculum matters. It's very important. I, I wouldn't want to go to a doctor who hadn't been learning anything new since 40 years ago. So, uh the same with teachers, you know, we, we have a professional obligation to stay current uh, in terms of pedagogical approach. That's, you know, go back to that literacy uh, curriculum change. There's been some research and science about what works for reading and the power of screening young students to find those who are struggling. Uh, that's all great stuff. Good progress. You alluded to the importance of students feeling that they're recognized for who they are. The mm -hmm. education minister made some remarks recently regarding gender identity. He said, and I'm quoting him now, parents must be fully involved and fully aware of what's happening in the life of their children. First off, what is the current policy of the board in regards to gender identity? Well, those uh, students, I mean, we're, we're, we're talking about transitioning students here. And I think the concern is uh, it, there's lots of media attention to the use of pronouns. And, um, you know, in my, these are really delicate and difficult situations for teachers and parents to deal with. And fundamentally, the school and the parent are partners in this situation. And when a, a child, or a young adult is going through that sort of transitional period, if they're a trans student, it's very, very difficult for them. It takes a lot of courage for them to deal with what they are going through as a person. So our role in the school is to be affirming their value as a person, their dignity and their privacy, and to make sure that we support them no matter what. In some rare cases, and you know, we're talking about very small numbers of students, right? It's not like there's, you know, half of your class are going to be uh, transitioning students. It, it's fairly rare, but still very, very important for those students and families involved. So we want to make sure that that student is, is safe. And if they reveal those, you know, what they're going through to a trusted adult in the school system first, Usually, it's part of a process that they're going through, and usually their parents know all about it and are well informed. And it's a you know we can collaborate and support them through the process. In some cases, the students say, "I'm not ready yet to deal with this at home. I'm trying it here," and that puts the school and the teachers who've been confided in into a really delicate position. We don't want to make that student feel 
that there's nobody they can trust. And we don't want to keep secrets from their family. So what we try to do is support those students and, and each situation is unique. So essentially we're trying to help the student to find the way to include the parents in, in the process. Um, and that, you know, it is delicate and we are trying to be respectful of everybody. Um, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, it's a challenge. Those are difficult situations. Our policy is to support the students, you know, um, for us, that's, a, that's the front line. And we've got to make them safe. We've got to make all of the other students see that we are making each and every student safe. Some places across Ontario, there has been responses by parents and other groups um, publicly about the minister's statements. Have you had any parents or other groups contact the board uh, about this at all? Um, not, uh, not recently. No, we have, I mean, at times there will be a few people who complain about flying the pride flag on schools, uh, that sort of issue. Um, but it, it, I wouldn't say that we have an overwhelming number of those uh, uh, complaints. You mentioned earlier you talk with the minister on a, on a regular basis. Are there any indications beyond the minister's statement that the provincial government is about to take steps like in Saskatchewan or New Brunswick to create formal policies around this? I don't think so. I think the minister is approaching it um, in, a, in a fashion that I personally interpret to be wise, and that is to to say what he has said, you know, it's very important that the parents are, are included. Uh, and we know that already. It is important. We want, you know, it, it's not like uh, everything has to happen in a day. We, we need to take time, work with that student to protect their safety and their, uh, affirm their identity and help them to work with their parents on those issues. Unfortunately, in some horrible cases, um, you know, the, the revelation to parents uh, doesn't go well for that student. And we know there are huge rates of, of running away from home, of suicide, uh, lots of bad consequences. And, and those are really sad stories. Um, we're trying to make sure that students approach their parents in, in a way that's going to lead to the most positive outcome with them as we can possibly foresee. I'd like to move on now for a moment. Uh, there mm -hmm. is a great deal of tension between the province and school teachers. The government is continuing its negotiations with high school teachers until October 27th, when both sides have agreed to go to binding arbitration. And elementary teachers are, are still up in the air. The union has applied for conciliation, but the potential for a strike remains a possibility. What is the school board doing to prepare for any job action? Well, you know, there have been job actions before, and uh, we we roll with that as best we can when they occur. Um, happy to say that we've got a QP agreement already with our board and local five 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 five, and those folks are very important to what we do in education as well. We've got that one settled. Uh, Just before a moment, before you go on, um, yeah, what is QP five five five, and who do they represent, please? <laughs> Just for 
us who Sorry. don't know. Go ahead. Right. Well, that would be uh, custodians and uh, secretarial staff um, uh, and, and others. But uh, in terms of the teachers, I think OSSTF has, um, you know, they, they've set a cap because uh, really neither the teachers nor the government want students to be disrupted this year if we can possibly avoid it. And OPSPA, which is the Ontario Public School Boards Association, so that's an organization of boards, um, under kind of an umbrella organization for trustees of all the boards, uh, we sit at that negotiating table as well. It's a, it's a three table meeting room <laughs> and uh, there's a lot of interaction there. And none of those three parties want to see uh, school interrupted if it can be avoided. So it, I, I hope that everybody stays at the table and keeps talking as much as possible. I think the move by OSSTF um, makes sense to me. It, they will push and keep negotiating as far as they can, but they've decided in the end, we're going to go to arbitration and um, for this contract, live with what some impartial third party will say is the best balance. The, the challenge I think for the public to understand, and you know, I've learned a lot in my role as a trustee, um, the contracts aren't simple. It isn't just, uh, you know, give me a 5% wage increase or, a, you know, 1%, whatever, if the government wants to try to cap it. Uh, uh, there are lots of other things in those contracts that have to do with not only the working conditions of the teachers, but also the learning conditions of the students, right? So class sizes, for example. Uh, or supports for program variety. Um, and we, we work out some of those details locally, but um, it's not a simple, you know, give them 4% and tell them to shut up. <laughs> it's much more complex. So I can understand why, uh, you know, and I haven't been intimately involved in the EPFO negotiations, the elementary teachers group, but I think that, uh, they have lots of concerns and they just, you know, want to continue to negotiate in the way that they've done in the past. Um, I don't, I know many elementary teachers and none of them want to go to job action or, or a strike. Uh, but, you know, they're fighting for a fair deal for themselves and for the students they serve. I appreciate all uh, the good sentiments that you've expressed, but bottom line <laughs> is there, it's, there's, it's a very uncertain time. How does the board prepare itself um, when these things are uncertain? And what should parents know and be doing um, to respond appropriately as events unfold? Well, uh, I'm not, uh, I guess I don't share that feeling that we're on thin ice. Um, I think, you know, I've, I've seen lots of these negotiations uh, over time. Um, Sometimes they push to, you know, a work to rule kind of job action where the teachers withdraw some of the voluntary work that they do on top of their paid work uh, as, as a way to pressure uh, the government to move on a contract negotiation. We've gone through that before. and We've gone all the way to teachers walking off the job. Um, I don't feel like we're in 
any worse uh, position now. Uh, I think now, because we've come out of this pandemic and there's been such disruption, there's a greater incentive for all parties to make sure that we get back to a stable situation. Um, and I, I, I trust, I guess I'm a bit of an optimist, that uh, people are going to be as reasonable as they can be in reaching those agreements. I've, I haven't really answered your question. That's not fair. Uh, what do we do? It's hard to say what we specifically do because we don't know what the job actions or tactics might be uh, in those situations. So fortunately, the one upside, I guess, of a, of a horrible pandemic is that uh, we learned how to pivot into online learning pretty quickly. And I don't know that we'll go there, um, but we certainly have a greater capacity for doing uh, some distance education than we've had in the past. At the beginning of every school year, parents go in with a positive view and all sorts of aspirations. Students go to school with all sorts of aspirations. As you start a new academic year, what are your aspirations for this upcoming year? Well, this year we as a group of trustees, we have gathered input from the public over the spring toward our new strategic plan. So that's going to be a focus for us in the fall, trying to, you know, bring all that data together and sift through it and set some priorities for our board locally. Um, and I'm hoping that we'll come up with a really good strategic plan. I think we have a good one right now, and, and I'm hoping it's not going to change too radically from what we have. Um, but I'd like to see us focus in a little bit more. For me, uh, you know, I was a high school teacher and I see the impact of cuts to education in terms of the loss of program variety. And, you know, we're, we're now, the minister keeps talking about skilled trades and the need for, you know, helping to steer students in that direction. Um, well, we used to have more shops. We closed a lot of them over time. Um, we used to have a lot more uh, music and arts-based programming, but as we're moving more toward the idea of job training or moving people forward in careers, we lose some of the richness of that program variety. And I, in my own experience, have taught in very large high schools where you could offer um, specialty programs because you could find 25 students to get together who, you know, and form a class that was very focused, you know, writer's craft at grade 11 with a function, uh, uh, focus on children's literature and writing craft. You know, you can't get to those really high interest focused courses unless you can meet the class size average that is prescribed for you. So what happens over time is we begin to lose some of those, the richness and variety of program. And often those are the courses that keep kids in school. They keep them engaged. You know, the kid who loves auto shop and wants to take it three years in a row, uh, you've got to hope you've got enough classes to keep that student interested and engaged in his learning in the school. And if that's a real focus in the auto shop, he also needs to get, you know, the other courses that are of interest 
that he can put up with till he gets to shop class, which he really loves. And you could say the same for kids who love band or drama or whatever. Uh, the uh, An English class that's focused on poetry. Uh, we, we lose the ability to offer program variety when we reduce class sizes, or, or sorry, when we increase them, reduce the formula. So you have to cut courses where, you know, there are only 20 students that want it. Well, for those 20 students, that's a vital piece of their education. And uh, so I'm hoping that we can find ways within the system to keep those uh, special courses open and offer students as, as rich a variety of courses as possible. That's my hope. Now, you know, one of the things the minister didn't re-announce is that uh, we now have a mandatory two credits online for all high school students. Um, and I'm not sure where that, you know, if, if that's of benefit by and large, for some students who can't get a course in a smaller high school in a rural area, they may be able to go online and pick up that course. They're getting it from TVO. I'm not sure what the evaluation uh, and assessment processes are, or how that's going to work, but it's, it's moving some funding out of those small schools and it's putting those teachers in a, I don't know, somewhere in Toronto and <laughs> TVO. Uh, doing online courses. Why those mandatory two credits are happening, um, I'm not sure. And I don't think it's going to ultimately help us to enrich the schools or offer the variety of programming that we would like to. Um, it may be helpful for some. We'll have to see how that how that plays out over time. But that's a big change, you know, two credits for every student. Some students never have the ability to do an online course effectively. It doesn't meet their learning style. And to make it mandatory is a bit problematic. Sounds like you've got lots of challenges coming up. Well, there's going to be lots of conversations. <laughs> that's for sure. Um, you know, and, and there are some things a school board can do locally and some things you just have to do what the ministry tells you. Steve Russell, I want to thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you. It was my pleasure. That was Steve Russell, chair of the Kawartha Pine Ridge District School Board. I want to thank my guests this week for talking to me, and I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life and Northumberland County. So please tune in. If you would like to listen or share this or any podcast, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. There you will find past podcasts, news, and other information about life and politics in Northumberland County. Or you can go to the radio station's website at northumberland897.ca. I'm Robert Washburn. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in, and I hope over the week you will continue to consider this. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Consider This. If you have any comments or would like to suggest a story, please contact me at considerthisnorthumberland at gmail.com or you can message me on Facebook at Consider This. If you enjoyed this podcast or are looking for more news and information about Northumberland County, 
please check out my website at consider-this.ca. That's consider-this.ca. And don't forget to share. And again, thank you for listening and stay tuned for more from Consider This.